As election day draws nearer, the Labour Party implodes. We'll have everything you need to know to make sense of next week's voting frenzy. Plus, Boris Johnson takes a stand against Barack Obama, the man who hates Winston Churchill. There's just one thing. I love Winston Churchill. Love the guy. Hello, Paul Osborne here. Thank you, as ever, for downloading the podcast. Now, the time was when Ken Livingstone had his finger on the pulse, a pulse of London anyway, the glory days of 2000 when Ken stood alone against the Blairite machine and was elected as Mayor of London. And now, just a few days before London elects its third mayor, its first appears to have gone, well, a bit mad. This all started when it emerged Labour's Bradford MP, Nash Shah, made some comments about Israel before she was an MP, which were certainly offensive and quite possibly anti-Semitic. She apologised and was suspended by the party. But then Ken Livingstone announced that her comments weren't anti-Semitic. And he went on to talk about Hitler having been a supporter of Zionism when he was elected in the 1930s. Well, soon after that, he was being shouted down in the street by another Labour MP, John Mann, who called him a Nazi apologist and a disgusting racist. And this is what Labour's Chris Bryant, the shadow leader of the Commons, had to say in the House. Anti-Semitism is wrong, full stop, end of story. I am sick and tired of people trying to explain it away. And yes, I'm talking to you, Ken Livingstone. Well, as ever, Robert Meakin uh, joins me. Uh, Robert, we didn't see this coming, did we? That Ken Livingstone would just sort of implode. No, I mean, as we well know, Ken has long sailed rather close to the wind throughout his very eventful career. But no, this has just been a a rapid turnaround. It just has gone up in flames. Just watching Ken Livingston on a variety of news outlets fighting for his political life right to the end, as he always would. Well, you say you you can call it fighting to save his career. The other way of of describing it is that he went from one studio to the next, digging an ever deeper hole. There was that side to it as well. Ken, as an amateur a historian it clearly isn't his strength uh, and that's what's obviously got him into this hole in the first place with his analysis of Nazi history and he just wouldn't let go he just kept on going as a as a historian in inverted commas he comes across as the the eccentric pub bore that you want to get away from in the bar you know with his curious facts it's extraordinary to think that Ken Livingstone 16 years ago going into the first mayoral election was a sort of a one-man band who defeated Tony Blair's Labour Party at the height of its pomp. He was that powerful and, and that well-connected to what voters were thinking. And here he is, 16 years later, taking a, a political row that was damaging already, but was largely fading into the background after the suspension of Nashar and after she apologised. And he's just thought, oh, I'll lob a grenade in there and uh, and make it even worse. And And... That the lack of political judgment in doing this is is incomprehensible. He's got form when it comes to this. I mean, he's for years he's had a rather odd obsession with the Nazis. If you if you go back, I've had the misfortune of having to write about it a few times in my career. The number of times he's called his opponents Nazis or compared to them. Of course, there's the infamous occasion when it was a Jewish uh, newspaper reporter who he compared to a concentration camp guard. Admittedly, didn't know at the time the gentleman in question was Jewish. But again, it was just bizarre and careless. But it's, it's a strange Nazi fetish that Ken has displayed over the decades. Chris 
Chris Bryant, who we heard a moment ago, has gone on to say on Twitter that Ken Livingstone should be expelled from the Labour Party, not just suspended, saying he's been explaining away anti-Semitism for far too long. John Lansman, who ran Jeremy Corbyn's leadership campaign and then founded Momentum, says it's time for Ken Livingstone to leave politics altogether. If you had any friends at the start of the day, he appears to have significantly fewer friends by the end of the day. Yeah, I mean, we, we've written his political obituary many times before. I mean, you and I were there at the last London mayor election where a very emotional Ken said at the end, this is, this, this is time for me to now go off into the sunset. You won't be seeing much of me again. If only that had been true. Because it was a load of odd nonsense. You won't have Ken Livingstone to kick around anymore. Within weeks, he's elected onto the Labour National Executive Committee. He's making as much trouble as ever. So we have to be cautious about writing him off because the old Boy, he does have a habit of coming back. He has the hide of a rhino. But you do think at the age he is, the current state of the Labour Party, maybe this time his luck has finally run out. And the timing of this is just so phenomenally inept. One week before all of these elections, which we're going to talk about in a moment, which are absolutely vital for the Labour Party, Ken Livingstone derails the entire campaign by making the same ill-judged statement over and over again to anyone who'll point a microphone at it. Well, I was, going to, I was thinking earlier, before the Ken stuff exploded, thinking about the London mayor election, I thought, my goodness, don't we miss Boris and Ken? You know, you've got these other two Division Two type characters competing for it this time around. You thought you, you missed them because it was such, yeah, such titanic battles last time. And of course, Ken couldn't stay out of the limelight for that long. And of course, he's right back in it now. He's the centre of the story again. Well, let's move on to those elections because the 5th of May sees a series of votes across large parts of the UK which really could have a big impact on the Labour Party. In Scotland, they're electing a whole parliament. Now, Scotland isn't detached from the rest of the UK, not yet anyway, but politically it really is. And if you are the betting type, lean in close while I give you an advanced tip. Bet heavily on the SNP. The real battle in Scotland is for second place and it could provide another unwanted headache for Jeremy Corbyn as if he hasn't got enough of those already. Well, to learn more... I spoke to journalist Emma Gordon, who's been watching the campaign from Glasgow. Well, we have to rely on polls. Now, those haven't been very reliable, especially ahead of the independence referendum and the last general election. But if we look at the polls, the the most recent being an Ipsos Mori for STV, it showed the SNP getting over half of the vote, uh, which would give them a majority. So you've got the other parties, Labour, the Conservatives, the Lib Dems, the Greens, UKIP, Rise, the left-wing socialist party, they're all fighting for the other half of the vote. So the SNP polling, getting about 71 of the 129 MSPs. Yeah, it looks like they're going to do well. Why do you think the SNP has been able to get such a stranglehold on power in Scotland in such a relatively short time? Some people think that the SNP has just managed to hold on to the independence vote. Everyone who voted for independence is now voting SNP. I don't think it's as simple as that. I think that um, they've got a secret weapon and that's Nicola Sturgeon. People trust her. Um, people think that she would make the best first minister out of all of the other party leaders. Uh, that's one thing. Uh, another thing is that the SNP froze council tax in 2007 and it stayed unchanged since then. Uh, that's a lot of extra money in people's pockets that they could be paying to tax. Another point is they're quite middle of the road. They kind of appeal to the broader spectrum of people. 
Middle class voters like them because uh, taxes haven't really been touched. People who are facing austerity like them because they're making the best noises when it comes to combating austerity. And uh, parties like Labour, which have swung really quite far to the left, are not appealing to the middle ground anymore. And that could be part of the problem with Labour at the moment. There have been polls suggesting Labour are doing very badly. Some suggestions they could lose up to one third of their seats. Other signs that it might not be that bad for Labour? Do you know, the short answer to that is no. And it depends whether you believe what the polls are saying, of course. I mean, people might revert to type and, and vote Labour as they have traditionally in Scotland. But according to these polls, Labour is on course to lose 17 MSPs, so going from 37 to 20, and that would put the Tories in front of them. From down here, there's an assumption that there aren't any Conservatives in Scotland. If this poll is to be believed, and there was another one last week as well that showed that the Conservatives are heading for second place in this Holyrood election. Now, that's not happened in my living memory. Uh, That would beat Labour into third place. That's if people vote the way they're telling pollsters they're going to vote. I mean, this might not happen, but at the moment it's looking like the Conservatives could be coming second in Scottish elections. They could be the official opposition. Emma Gordon there in Scotland. Robert, let's leave the SNP juggernauts to one side for a moment. I was under the impression that there weren't any Conservatives in Scotland. No, there haven't been um, any for some time in in theory. It's the old joke about there being more pandas in Scotland than uh, Tory MPs. But I think the Tories are starting from such a low, desperate point. At some point, they had to build some sort of momentum because they've, they've been on the floor for years and years and years. While the Labour Party, they ruled Scotland, took it for granted, I think it'd be safe to say. And then, of course, were destroyed. It all came to a head at the last election. So Labour is still, I think, just licking their, their wounds after last time and just haven't been able to get going again. Jeremy Corbyn was supposed to be the man to win back Scotland. The Labour Party was supposed to have lost support in Scotland because it wasn't left wing enough. Jeremy Corbyn was meant to be the solution to that. Now, his supporters say, oh, he's only been leader for seven months. It's far too soon uh, to expect anything uh, like that to happen. But they're actually going to go backwards. They're going to lose seats. And they could be in this sort of slightly humiliating position of being the third party in Scotland. If that happens, that will be the first time since 1910 that the Labour Party has not been in either first or second place in Scotland. No, that, that is some achievement. And I, they are suffering also, I think, because of the SNP honeymoon period, if you want to call it that, is still very much there. It's only, only say, it's less than a year since they storm to victory across Scotland. There's still, it seems, yeah, the, the voters are still with them. There's no sign of their supporters becoming disillusioned with Nicola Sturgeon as yet. Uh, so I, th- I think that the SNP have just stolen their clothes in terms of the, on the left-wing side of things, and Labour just cannot get back into into the argument. Well, as if they're not suffering enough in Scotland, the polls have suggested that Labour's going to slip back in Wales as well. Though having said that, there is no single opposition. It's very split between the Tories and Plaid Cymru, so Labour will probably hang on, albeit with fewer people on the Assembly. Now in England, more than 2,200 council seats are up for grabs. Labour did very well when these elections were last fought in 2012. Again, polls suggesting they will actually slip backwards this time. If that happens, this will be the first time since 1982 that an opposition party has failed to win seats in a year where there wasn't a general election. Now, 
Diane Abbott was warning off Jeremy Corbyn's rivals this week, saying the party isn't going to tolerate anyone who sets some sort of arbitrary benchmark for success. But you are supposed to make gains when you're in opposition. You are supposed to be demonstrating to voters that you are on the way to winning back power and that wavering voters can be confident in you. And inevitably it will, it will spark all manner of protests from the large majority of Labour MPs who didn't want Corbyn leader, as leader in the first place. My gut feeling, for what it's worth, is I, I think Corbyn will ride it out, even if things you know, do go badly for them, the local elections. I just think the, the huge mandate which he came in with uh, last September, I think just gives him that breathing space people you know for people in the party to say to their MPs you you can't you just don't have the right at this point to remove a man who had such overwhelming support to be our leader and as I've said before and have to meet with some uh, disagreement elsewhere I also do wonder whether the sort of people who got Jeremy Corbyn in as Labour leader are all that concerned about winning to be brutally honest I think the the prime aim was to have the coup in the party to take the Labour party away from the moderates from the centrists from the Blairites and the Brownites and I think that's been the main the main momentum behind this so even if they do suffer a, a rough uh, night next week I think it'll be more a case of well the electorate are just going to have to catch up because this is the direction we're going to plough on in and uh, I think that's that, that's the way I think things will unfold I think if you find yourself in politics in a political party that nominally at least aspires to government and then you come to the conclusion that actually being in government isn't that important and it's more important to have the moral certainty of being right in your own mind at least then you are perhaps in the wrong industry yeah I, 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 indeed I wholeheartedly agree but I think that's certainly the mindset of a lot of Jeremy Corbyn supporters in the Labour Party, the Labour Party. I mean they would scoff at the idea of being pragmatic enough to, to, you know, to present, present sort of policies that would please the electorate I mean they saw Tony Blair do that he's the most, most despised person within the Labour Party well, the one bit of good news for Labour is likely to come in London it seems Sadiq Khan is pretty much certain now to be elected as the city's mayor. Labour are obviously going to be delighted if they take back control of City Hall. But the thing is, London's pretty locked down now for Labour. They made gains in the last general election there. The party remains much stronger in London than in any other part of the southern half of England, certainly. Uh, But that does mean that there aren't many more gains to be had in London. So in terms of that the march to 2020 and and this Labour election victory that they're aiming for, London isn't going to be able to make a significant contribution to that because it's already so safely Labour. Yeah, it's, and it'll be a difficult one for Corbyn to sell as a, tr- a personal triumph for him, of course, because Sadiq Khan has done everything possible to keep his distance from Jeremy Corbyn throughout the campaign. Up to and including running away from him during a photo call. Literally ran away. Yeah, Khan is very clear that he'll be... And I, I see as soon as he becomes mayor, presuming he does, you imagine the distance he'll be putting between himself and the current Labour Party leadership. But you can also imagine that at the weekend after the uh, election results, and bear in mind London mayor is announced on Friday night, not on the night of the election itself, you can imagine on the Saturday there'll be a lot of phone calls from Jeremy's office very keen for a photo call with the new mayor. Now, of course, the turnout in most of these elections is pitifully low. So if you feel like having an actual impact on politics, you could always go and vote. Uh, Robert and I, by the way, will be setting the airwaves of BBC Radio London on fire next Friday, the 6th of May, when the city's mayoral results are announced. I'm sure you'll all want to tune in. Well, we've negotiated a very lucrative deal, of course, so we we won't go there for nothing, you understand. 
Now, it has not been a particularly good week for Boris Johnson. His comments more than a decade ago about Liverpool sounded fairly tasteless when he was called out by the city's mayor after the Hillsborough verdicts this week. And then there is the small matter of his dismissal of the leader of the free world. Uh, Barack Obama came to the UK to urge voters to stay in the European Union. And that, according to Boris, is because of his part Kenyan hostility to Britain. So much so that he had a bust of Winston Churchill removed from the White House. The only problem with that is that it isn't actually true, as the president pointed out. Right outside the door of the treaty room, so that I see it every day, including on weekends when I'm going into that office to watch a basketball game. The primary image I see is a bust of Winston Churchill. It's there voluntarily, because I can do anything on the second floor. (laughs) I love Winston Churchill. Love the guy. Robert, I would have thought the first rule of politics is don't take on Barack Obama. He is cooler than you. He is more popular than you. He is probably more popular in Britain than any British politician. So it's an odd decision for Boris Johnson to say, well, it's Trap Obama, he's a part Kenyan fellow. Boris Johnson's normally relatively astute. When he says something that on the face of it looks stupid, he's usually thought it through. This just seemed to be something stupid. It's utterly, utterly bonkers. And it, it, it just shows where, you know, how low already the EU referendum debate has sunk. I mean, we had all that nonsense, you know, a few weeks ago that everyone was going to behave well, still be friends and have reasoned arguments about our future in Europe. Of course, that's all gone for a burden within a few days. And now you've got sort of someone like, you know, Boris Johnson, who seems to have gone raving mad, making such stupid and frankly insulting comments about the US president. Having said that, the the polls that have been taken since Obama's visit, since his call on Britain to vote to stay in, suggest that the gap has narrowed, that the support level for leaving the EU has gone up, and that an awful lot of voters, even voters who are more minded to vote to stay in the EU, don't much like people coming from other countries and telling them what to do. Well, yeah, that, that's an inevitable natural reaction. I don't know quite what Obama was expected to do. He could have refused to say anything about it, would have had a huge amount of criticism. So instead, he makes a, you know, a fairly brief but you know, clear statement where he stands on it while trying to tread very carefully by saying, obviously, this is Britain's business, not ours. I personally think it's unfair to start criticising Obama for supposedly interfering in British affairs. It would be bizarre if he didn't say anything as a guest and, frankly, our main ally. Whatever you may think of Boris Johnson's uh views and the wisdom of him uh, giving giving us his views on Barack Obama. He is the mayor of London. It takes some balls, however, if you're Liam Fox, to call Barack Obama, as he did, an irrelevant lame duck. Liam Fox, ladies and gentlemen, one of our shorter-lived defence secretaries. You summed up his career very aptly there. That was, yeah, very generous. If you're Liam Fox, doesn't a thought go through your mind? I, Liam Fox... I'm now going to call Barack Obama an irrelevant lame duck. 
is that going to make me look like a tool? Yeah, I, I mean, long ago, I sort of learned just by default that never to underestimate the inflated sense of self-importance among Tory backbenchers or any backbenchers for that matter. So some of these people, you know, Obama would just never have heard of the likes of Peter Bone, Liam Fox, calling all names under the sun. I mean, these are people who, who frankly, whose relevance, I think we can safely say, could be could be questioned. I don't think you'd be losing any sleep about that, to be honest. Heavens, I wouldn't like to think that I might have offended Liam Fox. I must run for the hills before he comes for me. Well, doubtless by the time you've downloaded this podcast, another half dozen or so people will have been suspended by the Labour Party. But uh, I think we'll leave it there for now. We will be back sooner than expected the weekend after the elections when we will work our way through the results. In the meantime, do get on touch on Twitter at Paul Osborne. And if you've time to leave a review on iTunes or wherever else you listen, it would be greatly appreciated. For now, from Robert and from myself... Thank you very much for listening and goodbye.